Welcome to Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics that matter to you. You were just listening to Let's Talk with John Kane. I'm Jeff Simmons, back from vacation, albeit without my lovely co-host. I know Reggie is depressed about this, too, because Celeste Katz has moved to Boston. Hey. Hey. But the good news is, and I can let you guys know this, I talked about it this morning with Juliana Forlano, uh, is that Celeste is going to provide periodic news reports for the City Watch show on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock that I co-host. Uh, it's great that she's going to be able to do this. More segments also like she did on uh, Mayor de Blasio's uh, chances of becoming president when she interviewed people uh, in a park in New York City and provided really good sound assessing whether he had a shot. And we're going to talk about that with our guest today, by the way. We're going to get to him in a few moments. Uh, it is great to be back here. Uh, so much has happened in the last few weeks. I was never far away uh, from a newspaper or a TV. I was, of course, consumed by what was happening with, uh, I don't know if we call it Superstorm or Hurricane uh, Dorian at this point, uh, and its impact on uh, the Bahamas and the country, but also religiously following every single tweet that our president did and shaking my head constantly at that. So one thing that we have promised to do is to have more guests in studio here on Driving Forces to take your phone calls, but also talk about the work that they're doing, whether it is a policy organization or an elected official. And there's a gentleman who's in studio with me today who I have known for for several decades, was just talking about it a little while ago, uh, several decades who, uh, when I was a, a younger, not young, but younger, budding New York City reporter who I used to see at a number of press conferences on weekends, uh, that he would host, uh, not Chuck Schumer. And, uh, and I've come to follow him over the years. And in fact, our paths have crossed in a way uh, that maybe you will uh, figure out, but I'll just identify it, that I had worked for the controller's office for eight years, and now he is the New York City controller. He didn't fire me. I was gone before he got there. Uh, but Scott Stringer is joining us in studio today, and we're going to talk about his career, uh, reports that he's done, audits, issues of concern, his future plans, but we're also going to take your phone calls. One thing that has always fascinated me about the controller's office is that we touch on all, or we touched on all aspects of city life that you might not know about. And that's what he's going to tell us a little about today, because you might not realize things that you see or do in your daily lives that the controller actually is involved with. So the number you're going to be able to call throughout the show, we'll start it probably in about another 10 to 15 minutes, but I want you to call and I want you to pose questions to the controller. He's ready to answer them. That number is 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. So I'm going to bring on our guest right now, 44th controller of New York City. I will, I could give you all of his background, but you know what? I'm going to let him talk about his background. Welcome to uh, Driving Forces on WBAI. Well, this is great to be in studio with you, Jeff, and to spend this time not just talking with you, but talking to your audience and answering questions. Uh, part of what I enjoy about serving as controller is it's a job where you get to do a lot of different things at the same time. So, you know, we manage a $200 billion pension fund, protect the retirement security of 700000 uh teachers, firefighters, police officers, government workers. That's at the heart of what we do. 
Uh, I'm the auditor-in-chief, so I take on city hall and city agencies. We root out waste and fraud, and we don't stop there. We go through 30,000 contracts a year, and we talk a lot about the economy. But this office also has a social justice component to it because we realize that a lot of our work is about lifting up working people, struggling New Yorkers, and we can talk about that today as well. And also has a strong policy department. That is true. So stepping back for just a moment, you know, I have typed up a lot of your career, but I'm going to let you talk about it. Talk about from your, you know, I'll say high school graduation, no, your college graduation, you know, how your trajectory to get to this position now. You know, my first job while I was going to school was with Jerry Nadler. Um, I started out as a community aide. Uh, housing coordinator where I worked on issues related to maintaining affordable housing. My passion was saving the Michelama housing program because here was this amazing housing that was built uh, back in the 60s, um, the 50s when people were coming home from the war and this housing was going to expire because of a loophole, in, a loophole in the law and I got to meet some of the best housing organizers when I was still in my 20s and it stayed with me working for Jerry and then winning election to the state assembly where I became uh, a housing advocate, served on the housing committee, was one of the lone votes when the Republicans back then tried to deregulate our housing uh, and uh, created vacancy decontrol. I stood practically alone and voted no, so I'm so excited today to see that we've righted that, that we, we, there was a different way of thinking and now we have a stronger housing law. And after that, I became Manhattan Borough President. I defeated Eva Moskowitz and seven other people in a throwdown fight. And uh, we did a lot of great work on land use and zoning and community board reform, community engagement. And then uh, I, I ran for controller, defeated Elliot Spitzer, and I've been here ever since. So it's my, it's my quick two-second bio, two-minute bio. And, you know, as, as you may recall, I worked uh, with David Patterson when he ran with Elliot Spitzer as uh, lieutenant governor. Our paths have crossed quite uh, a number of times. I want to remind our listeners uh, as we continue the number to call is 212-209-2877. Going back to the Manhattan Borough President's Office, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? I think the Borough President's Office was a real opportunity to take a lot of my tenant organizing and you know view that communities have to have a say in the future of the city and we created community engagement by reforming our community boards we went to a merit-based selection process we diversified the boards more people of color in lower manhattan more people of color in upper manhattan we created that diversity we gave tools to the community board so they would have an understanding about land use and zoning we started a fellowship program and we really changed the borough president's office and made it activist based and gave people a say in land use and zoning issues it's what i still believe today is the only way you run new york by not doing development top down but from the community on up and that was one of the great parts of being borough president, which is really able to reshuffle the deck. 
and show that communities could have a voice. We also did a lot on the environment. We started something called Go Green East Harlem. We wrote a great cookbook. We engaged people on healthy issues and 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 high quality food. We were one of the first offices that talked about food policy, held multiple food conferences and showed the way a lot of the ideas that people talk about today were things that we brought to the forefront during my time as borough president. Do you still use the cookbook? It is still on my shelf. And which page is the but one I that's never been claimed, worn the most? Okay. But, I, but, I, but, I, but I never claimed in the book that I, that I was the cook. What we, went, what we did with that cookbook is we went to the community mm-hmm. and got people of different backgrounds to, to create a recipe, a healthy recipe, uh, in, in their own culture. So it was a really beautiful book about East Harlem, El Barrio. And when you think about the gentrification that's going on there, the displacement, that cookbook is more than just recipes. It's a, it symbolizes the struggle of people in El Barrio. So you've been controller since uh, what year? Uh, 2014. Is, is it a pop quiz? It's just oh, sometimes is, I forget. No, no, 2014. <laughs> 2014. In this time, what has surprised you about you know, about the controller's office that you didn't know when you started? Because frankly, I mean, look, I came in only a few months after it started and I had a sense of what it did. But then I found out there was so much more you know, that we did beyond just overseeing the pension funds. Well, I thought there was always great potential in this office. And that's why I wanted to serve as controller. You know, people had talked about running my running for mayor back in 2013 and said, well, I drop down to run for controller. And I said at the time, no, I'm stepping up to serve as controller because you wanted to have someone with progressive values who knew how to manage a large office of 750 people, a $100 million budget, and could you manage the bureaucracy of that office and focus it to do concrete things. So on the pension fund, we reformed the pension system. We worked with the labor trustees to create one investment meeting that has benefited all of the retirees. We then went in and said, look, why can't we look at issues like private prisons, for example, and see if we could study divestment of our interests in private prisons, and we did that. We're also in the midst of a fossil fuel divestment strategy as well. So we're breaking ground in that area. The other thing we did early on was work with Ken Thompson when he was the DA of Brooklyn, the late great Ken Thompson, and rather than have people who were found innocent by Ken Thompson because of the were in jail for things that they never did, for murder that they never committed. When they got out of prison, they would have to start a large legal struggle with the law department in the city. And I worked with our legal team at the controller's office to settle those innocent cases so that people could get on with their lives. I'm very proud of that because at the time people said, why would the controller do this? And I said, why wouldn't we do this? We have a great legal team. We looked at things, studied it, and then we took action. So when you look at the new things we did as controller, uh, I'm very proud of this record. And we have not been afraid to go after the powerful, the people who run this town. We've taken on the mayor when he's gone off in the wrong direction, trying to bring him back. And then we've also held 
people to the highest standards. Just this week, we looked at the USTA, you know, the Tennis Association, and the $350 million that they make during their uh, uh, tournament. And we then said, hey, you owe us $300,000 in back rent. You underreported your income, $31 million. And they obviously cut a check right then. They're, oh, they're sending their money. Okay. Well, they're disputing it. But, they'll, but, but I always get, you know, I'll get it. Did you, did you uh, actually, did you go to the U.S. Open? I was not invited. Okay. You don't do an audit and then try to sneak in the back door. <laughs> no, uh, we used to do these. And what's so interesting with a lot of audits, and I'm curious if you get this same response from the de Blasio administration, because when we would issue an audit of a city agency, the typical response from the Bloomberg, when I worked for Bill Thompson, the typical response on the other side was, it's political, he's going to be running for mayor, it's outdated uh, data, because they, you know, the audits take forever to do um and uh it's wrong and you know they would just say it's wrong and they would kind well, of this is good to hear because it's exactly the answers i get when we do our audits but even with that as you know audits are not a gotcha you actually work with the city agency you share your findings you go back and forth and we've made a thousand recommendations over the last six years uh, that the administration has agreed to. Now, they don't always follow through with that. We then go back and audit them again and make sure that they're honoring the commitments they made. Uh, we got a commitment out of NYCHA, for example, to re-inspect all the playgrounds when we found the poor conditions they were in. They said they would do that. They never did it, so we went back in and said, you gotta do it now. So we are constantly holding agencies to the highest standards. And it's not only the audit, we also talk a lot about the economy and how agencies should be more aware that given the uncertainty in Washington and with Donald Trump, we should be saving more money, putting it away for rainy days so if, if the worst case scenario would have happened, we actually are not gonna lay off people and we'll have resources to handle anything that comes our way where, God forbid, it's a terrorist attack, another hurricane, or a Trump uh, a Trump attack on New York City, which happens on a regular basis. And we're going to get to uh, that in a little while when we talk about immigration. You recently gave, I'm trying to remember if it was the CAFR that we issued, but you recently gave your assessment of the city's uh, fiscal uh, uh, portrait. What is the state of the city's economy and the city budget? You know, I... Look, the, the the economy is strong. We have outperformed the rest of the country uh, since the 2008 recession. I've talked a lot about that. I've given appropriate credit to the mayor and, and people who at OMB who work on these issues. But I've also said uh, we have to be a little careful because I feel the, the economy is tightening. And we have to measure whether the money we're spending for worthwhile programs are actually having a result. So I created a watch list because I felt that some agencies were just spending so much money without any any outcomes that I wanted to have a more stringent view of how we measure that success. I'm concerned that six years ago we were spending $1.4 billion on homeless services. Today we're spending $3.2 billion, but we have even more people in homeless shelters, 30,000 children. That's unacceptable. We did a housing report because I have a housing plan for the city, but we identified that there's 500,000 people who are one step away from homelessness. So the mayor's housing policy that basically was a mayor revenue-focused housing policy has created a lot of anxiety for people who are one step away from homelessness. This is the reason why I've said 
let's put away more money given the surplus the good times that we've had so that we can protect ourselves and at the and, and and by extension money that we are spending whether it's thrive or on some other worthwhile initiatives we have to measure whether these programs are working because we don't have unlimited resources you are listening to Driving Forces on WBAI. I'm Jeff Simmons, your host. I'm joined in studio by New York City controller Scott Stringer. The phone lines are open for you to give a call, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Please try to keep your uh, comments to about a minute or so. And if you've got a question, please raise the question. If you've got a suggestion for an audit or you want to identify a problem that you're seeing in the city, that you feel the controller should know about, please let us know. Give us a call. Today's the first day of school. Dropped your kids off at school? My son, Max and Maz, dropped them off at their public school. Very proud of both of them. It was a little emotional, I have to tell you. You know, second grade and first grade, it just goes by so fast. But, you know, I love them so much. I'm so lucky to have them. So my wife and I, like many parents around the city, we brought them to their first day in school. We've got a caller on the line already. We're going to get to education as well between the calls. Uh, First caller, welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Yes, my name is Dave. I'm calling from Manhattan. Hi, Dave. What's on your mind? I would like to know why um, we can't, New York City, especially New York City, can't tax property uh, the correct way where landlords who have property, let's say, uh, 2nd Avenue along the 2nd Avenue subway or whether they're in Brooklyn or Queens okay, where sure they get higher rents, why okay, can't right. the property be taxed accordingly where the um, uh, taxpayers are subsidizing the subway? It's a public uh, expense. And the landlords well, who have property sure right call, next okay. to the subway reap the benefits. Second Avenue subway now, the rents have got, I mean, the rents have gone up like 25, 30%. All these stores are occupied. So we pay billions of dollars, and why can't Scott Stringer look at it logically and say, hey, you're reaping the benefits, let's taxpayers reap the benefits also. We paid for the subway. We paid for the luxury subway, uh, just an example. There are other subway on 2nd Avenue. So, why so, can't, so. Why can't pay their share? Why did we, why? All right. Okay, Dave. Dave. Scott's Dave. going to answer your question. I got you, man. You ready for the answer? It's an interesting way of looking at taxation. Uh, I haven't studied it fully, but it's something that I do think uh, we should take a look at. There are actually pros and cons to this, and um, you know where, but it is worth as part of a longer conversation about real property taxation that we should take a look at. And 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 I think there's people who have been speaking about this for quite some time. I've got another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Um, my name is Anne. I'm from Babylon, New York. Hi, Anne. What's on your mind? Okay. I, uh, I was married and uh, divorced from a New York City fire captain. And uh, I was collecting a quadro um, for many years from uh, my portion of the pension, which in New York State is property. All of a sudden, the fire department decided to tax just my portion. They told me if I gave him back his pension, it would go back to uh, it would go back to being tax free. But um, 
That's, that's not possible. So I wanted to know, they used a tax law that came out of a California tax court. Nothing has changed as far as uh, IRS law, but the fire department has decided to tax just my portion of the disability pension. So if, if you call my office uh, tomorrow to... I've, I've been trying to get through for, for months that you're blocked. I can't get through. There's somebody who answers the phone who tells me um, it's the way it should be. It's not the way it should be. IRS law has not changed. So, 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 and and there's a difference between if they if the office has has also concurred with that tax determination, it may mean that we can't be helpful. But if you call tomorrow again, uh, I will speak to people to make sure that we can go over what your issues are. I, I don't know whether you're right or wrong. We would have to research it. And Anne, yes. uh, Reggie, our engineer is going to, uh, when you hop off, the, stay on the call, he'll take your name and number for us. Okay, and you'll give me his? Yes. Yes. Okay. Calls tomorrow, you. and I'll try to make sure we... I, I know I'm not the only one with, in this situation, but I can't find anybody else. Okay, let me so, see what I can do. Okay, thank you. So while Reggie takes that, uh, we'll take another call on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, well, welcome to WBAI. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Thank you. What's your name? Oh, I'm Mark from uh, Co-op City. And Mark, what is on your mind? Well, uh, thank you for having Scott Stringer there and um, very key figure. Thank um, you. When you guys open up the conversation with NYCHA, I'm, I'm curious and to know, Mr. Stringer, can you, can you kind of like delve in a little more comprehensively the status of NYCHA right now for the next 10 years or so? Yeah, I could say with certainty that NYCHA is on the verge of collapse unless we take bold action. Uh, as okay. controller, I have my, I have audited NYCHA more than all the controllers of modern history combined. I have walked the halls of NYCHA, the streets surrounding NYCHA, talked to the tenants, worked with tenant associations, and I do this because NYCHA is the backbone of the city. There's as many people living in NYCHA as the city of Boston. And right. this city administration has failed tenants every single day. We have an incompetent administrative uh, administrative hierarchy at NYCHA. It hasn't gotten better in six years. We now have a federal monitor. We now have a new manager. And it's in, in, in order to make this right, we need the mayor and city full hall to focus fully 24-7 on fixing NYCHA. I have ideas about revenue streams. I've talked to the city about that. We've made many recommendations through our audits and investigations. But this is a tragedy. You know, I grew up in Washington Heights back in the 70s and lived some blocks away from Dykeman houses. And I just remember all us kids hanging out in Dykeman, hanging out in the schoolyard, hanging out on my block. Today, NYCHA's receding. You go to Angus Hall Houses, right? And you yep. see the luxury development across the street. People walking on the luxury side. And then you go to uh, Angus Hall, and what do you see? Broken locks, boarded up apartments. Why are we allowing this to happen? Now, I know the federal government has to pony up money. And this isn't the first HUD secretary who abdicated responsibility. But for God's sakes, human beings live at NYCHA. Children live at NYCHA. You go to the playgrounds that I investigated, and you find that the travesty and the danger that NYCHA kids have to deal with. I'm so outraged by this. 
and mm-hmm. so angry, and I'm going to do everything I can while I'm in public office to raise the roof on these issues. So I know we've got. Thank you so much for giving us a call. Uh, we've got other calls coming in. We've got another call, Reggie. Yeah. Great. Welcome to WBAI. What is your name and where are you from? Thank you, Dee from Manhattan. I do. I think this gentleman, Mr. Stringer, Scott Stringer, has a real heart for the people, and I believe that if anyone can help, it's it's he regarding fluoride in our water, which has you know Peter. Malone, Malone, years ago, they say, tried to get it passed through the city council to remove it, but now it's proven, and again and again, it's a neurotoxin as bad as lead, or worse, worse than lead. So what can he do to eradicate that? Well, first of all, Dee, thank you for your, your compliment. That means a lot to me. I can tell you that we in, in the controller's office are working on a variety of environmental issues. I'd like to hear more about yours. But you raise important issues of lead paint. We also no, fluoride in the water. No, no, but you also said lead paint, fluoride no, in the water. Fluoride is as dangerous as lead. They say we would love to. We would love yes. to talk to you more about it's well it. Well proven. And, and listen, information yeah. that you have, I'd love for you to call the office and yeah. and get in touch with us because we're constantly looking and listening to what people yeah. have to say and about also the environment. In Europe, they don't use any fluoride in their right. water. Great. Okay. D, D, thank you so much. D, for we're going to make call. sure that we call you. So before we get to the next call, you did just touch on environment, and we're in the middle of climate change month. So much is going to be happening. What role does your office have you know, in addressing climate change issues? Well, we're doing our part in a very big way. Um, we are now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, actively pursuing a divestment from fossil fuels. Uh, that would be in international opportunity to show the priorities of public pension funds we would be the first public pension fund in in a big way to do this so that is something that we continue to work on and you know how complicated that is Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not just about what we want to divest from we're also doubled our investments in the green economy solar energy we think there's a lot of projects that i can get done before i leave as controller i also want to work with the mayor's office i want to set up a green bonds program you know there's a lot of investor interest in the green economy yet we don't have uh, but we don't have a real uh, a bonding program in our capital budget to focus on green i want to see a green bond program and you know what jeff it's time for a blue bond program so we can invest in water resiliency projects people don't realize that or people do realize i shouldn't say it and by the way the next generation of kids realizes more than the adults but superstorms aren't going to happen every 250 years they're going to happen every 10 15 25 years my little kids are probably going to be part of episodic storms for most of their lives as they grow up and that's because the adults didn't do what they were supposed to do we've got to fundamentally change the way we look at climate the climate and resiliency new york city has 520 miles of shoreline and the mayor's resiliency program released with much fanfare talked about saving and protecting wall street and lower manhattan right now that's not a bad thing, and I certainly want to protect Lower Manhattan. I remember the residential population has boomed. It's boomed, Manhattan. and I'm one of those residents. So I want to help Lower Manhattan, but I also know that you can't just protect Wall Street. You need to come up with a 520-mile plan. That's going to take green bonds and blue bonds. And just a couple of weeks ago, I did a calculation as to how much money 
the city has spent of federal dollars. So the federal government, FEMA, has allocated $14.7 billion in money to do resiliency projects. We've only spent 50% of that money, as if we have all these years left. And a lot of the money that's unspent, you know what category that's in, Jeff? NYCHA developments. So here you have federal dollars that can go to people living in public housing. It's unspent. I mean, what are they thinking? So I do want to, when you're talking, by the way, stepping back a bit, when you've been talking about uh, divesting funds, uh, I'm also familiar with the controller's office also putting forth a number of shareholder resolutions to prompt uh, corporations, companies to take actions. I mean, when I was there, it was about getting uh, gender identity and expression and share in their company policies. You had a victory this week with Walmart, if I'm correct. Can you talk about that? To get guns out of Walmart, Yes. But can I go back? And, and, yeah. and I'm happy about that. And we work with controllers around the country. So I don't want to, you know, take all the credit. This was a, a national. But you uh, are uh, a large. Yes, we're the, yeah. we're the, we're the, we are one of the big ones. And I'm very happy about sending a strong message on guns. But here's, here's the thing about engagement. So when I became controller, we started something called the Boardroom Accountability Project. Because right now, in so much of corporate America, there's no diversity. There's no women and people of color at the highest levels of corporate mm -hmm, boards mm -hmm. or in the C-suite. So we created an engagement through something called proxy access to force the companies we invest in to diversify their board. Not only is that a civil rights issue, it's also good for business. Diverse boards make better judgment, right? Perhaps we wouldn't have had WorldCom and Enron if we had more people of color and more women on the board, right? So the old boys network I have been breaking up since the day I became controller. The reason I think we have to change strategy on climate change and um, engagement is because shareholder resolutions are not going to do it for climate change. One, hmm. there's no more time. So if you put a scientist or you move an energy company, they're slick. So they'll, they'll absorb that resolution and come up with some gimmick. The way to hit them is to show that one, they're going to be losing money because climate uh, with fossil fuels is an economic non-starter for the future. And we need to take our money and get it out of fossil fuel. These are pension dollars. People who, whose children are going to this, inherit this planet and are not going to be able to breathe, are not going to be able to see the beauty of Earth. And I think that's my different strategy. So on diversity, I have engaged successfully. Here on climate change, I, I think the energy companies, we have to be, we have to have a different strategy. Got it. You are listening to WBAI's Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, your host, and our special in-studio guest, New York City controller Scott Stringer, who will be taking your calls throughout the show at 212-209-2877. got a caller on the line right now. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Hello, welcome. Uh, welcome. Are you talking to me? Yes, I am. How are you? Oh, good. Tom from Brooklyn. Hi, Tom. Uh, my first question is uh, what, the one I always ask the controller. How's your mother? <laughs> she is as tough as ever. For people who don't know, uh, my mother uh, is a former councilwoman from Washington Heights in the 70s, together with my cousin, Bella Abzug. Uh, did a lot of great work on women's rights and being a trailblazer. So when you ask about my mother, I tell you, she's 
She's as, as, as good as she's always been and tough as nails. I'm, I'm sure she's put together the, the next campaign. No question. Uh, no question. Right. So, I, uh, but to be serious, uh, this administration is now treating community boards with contempt. The community boards were born by, in Manhattan uh, under Borough President William, uh, excuse me, Robert Wagner, Jr., and now we see that they are openly saying, we don't have to listen to you. We're going to go around you. The hell with you. We won't even tell you what we're doing. Well, I, I, that's something you deal with. Well, you know, as borough president, I empower the community boards. I believe that the best way to change the skyline is with the local community. It's why I've opposed a lot of these misguided city council rezonings that has ended up gentrifying whole parts of our city. But I will tell you this, Wagner called them community planning boards. Subsequent right. charter revisions m made them community boards. I actually want to put planning back into community boards. We have got to have a land use process that engages communities in a meaningful way. We need more urban planning staff. We need to have communities have a conversation with those $800 an hour or $1,000 an hour real estate lawyers. We have such a misguided land use process where we leave the very people who have invested in our communities out of the process and then it gets to the city council they rezone without even studying the impact that the gentrification is going to have we need to change I, fundamentally I think you how understand the issue <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. giving us a call today uh we'll take another call and then i've got a few questions on my own oh the phone lines are switchboards lighten up folks so i'm going to keep doing the calls if the controller is ready to take more this calls. is the greatest show for me you got a guy who went <laughs> who has actually been in the controller's office leading the conversation no wonder the phones are lit up let's go okay next next caller welcome to wbai what is your name and where are you from uh, thank you so much. My name is Michelle, and it's a delight to be on and to actually hear um, Scott Stringer's ideas and also to hear you talk about Dykeman, where I grew up. I'm like, we must have been in the same playground together. Where in, uh, where in, in Dykeman? Where in Dykeman? I grew up in the Dykeman houses, oh, and my. we didn't call it the projects at that point, if you remember correctly. We called it the Dykeman houses. We called it Dykeman. Uh, we call it Dykeman. So exactly. did, you go to so did you go to PS152? Um, I went to PS98, but my uh. sisters went to PS152. So I'm sure that we um, probably uh, either knew each other or played together. I love exactly. It. But anyway, as a New Yorker um, who certainly was raised here from the age of three, um, and, you know, now or in my early 50s, I mean, I've, I have several, just two, two questions. Sure. Um, they're loaded. <laughs> One of which is uh, with regard to corporate policy. Um, I really would like to recommend that corporations be mandated to adopt schools and to be mandated, and I don't know if you can do this, uh, in some way to be required to do mentoring and provide internships. I mean, maybe they can get a tax break. I'd love to hear okay. your thoughts around that. The, the other thing um, I really feel is that though we live in one of the most diverse cities in the world, I still see a lot of separate communities. I don't see, particularly as it relates to 
um, diverse businesses other than from um, a lot of foreigners that come in that own businesses. And I'm like, where are, you know, if I wanted to not have to go to Harlem for an African-American restaurant, where's a restaurant in the 50s that is soul food or Latin food? You don't see that. Why is that? And then my third question is if we want to get more involved. I thought you, I thought you involved, had two. Okay. <laughs> I know. The third thing, I'm very interested in being involved and more engaged. And, uh, you know, I'm a solutions-oriented person. Would love to hear how, you know, people can become more involved. Are you, are you, still, in you, Washi- so are you still in Washington Heights? Well, um, you know, I made the migration north, so I now live in Rockland. Okay. <laughs> but I work in New York City, okay. um, and I'm in healthcare in, in particular. Okay. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of great organizations everywhere to get involved in, and it's great to hear from someone from the old neighborhood. Couple, just a couple things I would say is we're not spending enough. We don't spend enough attention on protecting our small businesses. We're asking them to do so much. And I have supported raising the minimum wage. I support giving workers the rights that they deserve so that they can feed their families. But we've got to stop threatening small businesses with fines and fees as if they don't matter. And I'm going to have more to say in the near future on that. Uh, And one of the things that, that I think we have to also remember is that for many people who grew up back in the 70s when there were 2,000 murders a year, and there, look, I remember the A train being like a rolling crime scene. My mother used to say, Scott, you got to sit with the conductor. If you said that today, people would be like, the conductor? What's, a, what's the conductor, right? What car is that? And we have to go and recognize that if we're going to have diversity in the city, we have to work towards it. We have to change our zoning strategies. That's why I think these rezonings have been so harmful because we're basically segregating people. We're pushing out the longtime residents who lived in public housing, who lived on the block. They can't afford to live in the community that they helped build when no one wanted to live here back in the 70s and 80s when people fled. All of these great folks stayed, and they didn't just stay in Wash Nights, but throughout the neighborhoods I visit on a weekly basis. We gotta protect the people who built up our city and make it possible that young people, immigrants, can come to the city and that the entrance fee to the city is not a $2 million condo. Thank you so much for calling. And before we get to the next call, she touched a little on uh, you know mentorships, companies mm-hmm. mentoring, and I did want to come back to education because yesterday you did another roundtable regarding your NYC Under 3 proposal. Can you talk about that? Because uh, what was stunning to me was, I, I typed this down, the, the Bushwick statistic about Bushwick being one of the city's worst child care deserts. Uh, talk a little about the NYC Under 3 proposal and what it would do. This proposal, I think, is critical to the future of this city. Uh, right now, if you want child care, you pay $21,000 a year. It's out of reach for so many families. And what's happening is women in particular are choosing the workforce or staying at home because there are, I shouldn't say choosing, there's no other choice. So our plan would triple the number of children that could be in a child care setting. We would fund it with a small increase in the payroll tax for the wealthiest companies in the city. It would be negligible for people, for these companies, but what a benefit it would have. We would not only give young kids, starting zero to three, 
the education, the beginning of the education that they need, 80% of brain development happens zero to three, but we estimate we'd put 20,000 people, mostly women, back into the workforce. They would earn $500 million. So this was more than pay for itself. We need to build out a zero to three program, NYC under three. Legislatively, legislation has been introduced by Assemblywoman Latrice, Latrice Walker and Jessica, Senator Jessica Ramos, uh, and with great help by Senator Brad Hoyleman and Assemblymember Yuli New, they are crafting legislation to begin this. We need to do this. And as part of my report on NYC under three, we looked at not just the fact that people can't access, can't afford childcare, even if you can afford it, you can't access it because it doesn't exist in so many neighborhoods. So this plan is pretty simple. We create a fund, we could subsidize childcare, fully for people who make less than $30,000 a year, proportional 50% um, for people who make 50000 they would pay half price and it would go all the way up to $100,000. This is the challenge for New York City because if we can do it in New York City, this could be the model for the nation. And this is where I'm going to give Bill de Blasio great credit. This is not impossible because Bill de Blasio showed what can happen with pre-K and 3K. So he's already shown what laser-focused work and a funding stream can do for our children. Uh, we're going to go to another call, but before we do that, given what you just said, do you think something like that will, uh, lead, you know, will resonate across the country and that de Blasio could be our next president? Well, considering... NYC under three is my idea, so I would probably be on the ticket. Oh, with where him. you are I, pre. <laughs> I mean, it would probably be De Blasio Stringer, and, and you know, I would have to serve. Okay, but uh, then who would be controller? You've been so good today, <laughs> Jeff. This is how it. You know, everyone wants the viral moment now, right? <laughs> We're gonna. Well, I'm gonna come back to a few All other right. questions like that, but you know, these phone lines are lighting up, and uh, we have such great listeners. So let's take another call. Welcome to WBAI. What is your name, and where are you from? Hi, thank you. My name is David Wayne. I'm the uh, chapter chair of the court interpreters chapter for Local 1070 of District Council 37. Welcome. What is on your mind today? Hi, Hi thank you. Um, Comptroller Stringer, as you can imagine, myself and my members read with a lot of interest your open letter on language access from your office. I think it was from 2017. Yes. And so I have a three-part question about that. Uh, one is whether you have um, done any kind of follow-up about those uh, language access issues. Uh, the second thing, what are your ideas in regard to solving some of the problems that you saw uh, with language access? And the third is, would you be interested in some kind of a dialogue with myself and the members of the chapter regarding solutions to some of these problems? Um, remembering that most of the members of the chapter not only serve these communities, but they're immigrants as well coming from the community. So these are problems that are important to us. And this is interesting. It's you're getting to immigration, which I want to get to. Can you, because I'm not familiar with this, what exactly was the language access uh, uh, propose, uh, uh, program or report you're talking about, sir? Um, well, the controller uh, wrote an open letter to the chief judge of New York State Courts, Janet DeFiori, uh, talking about problems that non-English speakers were having in having access to justice. Um, and he can uh, talk about some of the specific things that he found, I guess. 
Well, look, I want, one of the things that I believe in is full, is full language access so people can certainly, especially in court proceedings, understand exactly what is happening and not have to sit there without having any understanding. So my answer, given the time that we have, is I'd be happy to meet with you. Uh, you're a very wonderful union, and you're part of an amazing union, so I'm happy to sit down. Give me a call. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get together. Thank you so much for giving us a call. So I know we've got other calls in, but I do want to ask you a little about uh, about our president and uh, how you feel he's been doing. Look, like everyone else, I'm horrified every time I wake up in the morning and realize that this clown is president of the United States. Uh, but what I've tried to do with my time is not is not agonize, but rather organize, and that's all that we in New York City have to do. The resistance is coming in many forms and. Obviously, the crescendo is to beat Donald Trump, but also look at our success. I was one of the earliest endorsers of the candidates who ran against the IDC, which were Democrats who were elected, who became Republicans, and they got away with it for years. And then a lot of us got together and said, we shouldn't have that in New York. And when you look at the people we elected, like Jessica Ramos and Senator Biagi and uh, a whole host of these amazing legislators, Look what we did in Albany, strengthened the rent laws, worked on immigration issues. So much happened because we were civically engaged. And so I'm very optimistic. I take the half the glass half full. I want to get down get rid of Donald Trump. But along the way I wanna I wanna change this country. I wanna make it fair for people. I don't want our city to become become a playground for the rich and nothing for the rest of us. And to me, the way to do that is to build a movement and to organize, and that's what we're doing. So given the you know, a number of the actions that the president and his administration have taken uh, on immigration issues, do you think it's going to be much more difficult for us to get as close to an accurate count in the census next year? Because I work with a lot of nonprofits, and they're worried about funding getting the funding that comes to New York getting cut substantially because— uh, because not enough people, not all the people are going to get counted who live in the city. Well, what's at stake is billions of dollars. I think $5.7 billion in federal aid, but also representation in the Congress. We could potentially lose two congressional seats. The problem and the great challenge with this census is that it's we're going to do the census differently. For the first time in our 220-year history, the census has basically gone online. Mm -hmm. So you need to have broadband access in your apartment or house in order to access the questionnaire. Now, I've said, knowing that we issued a report that said, look, there's 2.2 million people that don't have broadband access in the city. A lot of people are seniors, people who struggle in our economically challenged community. So we need a strategy to make sure that we're working with community-based organizations, setting up kiosks so that people can fill this thing out online. We've never had to do that before. So given the fact that Trump has tried to put roadblocks, roadblocks into making sure we don't have a fair count in New York and other places, we've got to double down. Now, I was very happy after we put out a report and highlighted the issue of the census being online. Uh, the city administration immediately rolled out a plan 
to access libraries. I think they need to do more with not-for-profits. They need to involve more elected official offices. You know, we've got a great network of senators and assembly members and council members. We should all have our offices open at night or early morning or a kiosk or in every single elected official's office, every committee organization's office, and and show Donald Trump that we're going to save our congressional seats and we're also going to make sure the federal government keeps giving us money so that we can help our children, our seniors, and in our communities. So you are listening to WBAI's Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and our special in-studio guest, Scott Stringer, taking your calls. We've got another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What is your name and where are you from? Hello. Uh, hello? Yep, you're on the air. What's your name? Yeah, Johnny. Hi, Johnny. What is on your mind today? Yeah, Scott, how are you? How you doing, Johnny? Yeah, one thing, Scott, you should be mayor. Mayor Havana, Cuba, where you belong, you commie. Okay, that's <laughs> a thing. Well, given... It, it, it was going so well. <laughs> it was... Reggie, you got to be quicker on that. <laughs> no, no, no. It was. Okay. It, it's, how, it, it's how we really felt. So, Well, you should be blessed because that is a long-standing tradition here at WBAI. You just got, you just got pranked by the Cuba boys. <laughs> And they are the infamous individuals, a group of individuals that uh, come on and prank call some of the listeners as well as some of the guests as well. And that's been a long-standing tradition since the late seventies. But he said I should be mayor. Yeah. So, so what went wrong? Mayor of Havana. So speaking Whoa. of that, yeah. Wow. You. Are, I don't know, man. Your name constantly comes up. One of the leading potential candidates for mayor of New York City. Are you declaring today? I will consider this a show that I could possibly declare on because I'm having a great time and you're a great host. So how's that? Okay. And if you were to become mayor, what, what would be the, you know, what would be your, the first action you would take and, you know, what would your administration be like? Well, in order to become mayor, it's a long road to do that. So I don't want to be presumptuous of that. But let me tell you what I envision my next two years to be about. Uh, I very much want to continue to fight for my housing plan uh, that would build the housing we need for the poorest people in the city. I want to move people out of homeless shelters. 30% of people in homeless shelters actually have jobs. They get up in the morning like every other New Yorker. They go to work and they come home. They just can't find an affordable apartment. I want to allow for revolving fund to do the work in the tradition of LaGuardia and Michelama under Lindsay and Rockefeller and Koch and have a land bank and a land trust and fundamentally change housing policy in this city. That is what I have done since I was a kid, uh, working to save Michelama. I, I feel passionately that the future of the city cannot just be left to two or three million dollar condos. So that's work I'm going to do as controller. And I'm also going to work on NYC under three, because I think in the next two years, before the next mayor is chosen, we can have a child care program. And if it is not closed by your possible... Be, you know, first day of becoming mayor, you would close Rikers. Well, I was the first elected official in this city that said, let's close Rikers. It's, 
It's an abomination. Anyone who's ever been there, I've been on Rikers Island, let me say voluntarily, because once politicians say that, people. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it's time to close it. One of the disconnects that, that I find, unfortunately, with what's happening is we have to close Rikers, and then we don't listen to communities when we say, okay, if we need smaller jails, how do we integrate into communities by having conversation? So by the time the conversation gets to getting something done, rather than f bring or people feel ownership of solving the problem, now we've got communities looking at these 40-story jails that they don't think should be in their communities. Uh, and the whole, it's almost as if on purpose, uh, we have flipped the switch so that we can't close Rikers without causing such anger in our communities. And I just think we need a different approach in our government, more strategy, more outreach, more consultation. You know, the hardest land use issues I had to deal with were, were, were solved and dealt with because we were willing to have a conversation. Now, I look back on my life and say, perhaps I will someday regret that I spent more time at committee board meetings than any human being in New York City history. But, you know, we solved a lot of problems, even in contentious meetings. And I want to go back to that, because Rikers should close. It's inhumane. It doesn't work. We need to have a different conversation on criminal justice reform. We're having that conversation. City administration has to show patience and deference to creating consensus. So we've got just a few minutes left, only about uh, two or three minutes left, and I do want to wrap up. We have not gotten to the presidential race other than touching on uh, Mayor de Blasio. Are you favoring any one of the presidential candidates right now? Uh, well, I, I expect I'm going to endorse a candidate. Uh, I'm not going to do it today. Uh, I do think we have uh, some great candidates running, and we're going to have to the candidate that represents our hopes and dreams and our values. Uh, the candidate that I pick will be somebody who I want to make sure my kids are okay and the children that we're never going to meet. And we all have to take positions and we're all going to have to work, whoever the nominee is, uh, to beat this imbecile and get him out of the White House and then hope that this, this, terrible, this terrible thing will never happen again. And in our uh, final minute or so, is there anything that I have not gotten to that you did want to talk about today? We'll have to do it briefly so I could wrap up. So, Jeff, you should be, you should interview controllers. This is <laughs> this is your specialty. How many times has Tom DiNapoli been on? We had him. On, we haven't uh, had him in studio. Uh, we had him on the phone. I'm I had gonna call him. Bill and say, Thompson on once before. You got to get Bill back. You got to get John Lou back. Tom DiNapoli. I'm coming back because I think this is. I mean, you actually know what the office is. This is great. Well, in fact, that's you know where it's a double-edged sword because I want to be able to say, what about this person? What about this audit? And what have you done since then? But yeah. I held off on that today. I do want to thank you for being in studio with me today, Controller Stringer. By the way, if people do want to get in touch with your office, is there a, a website address that they, where they should go? Or is there a specific phone number that they might be able to call just uh, so they can reach out? Yeah, just just call me, 212-669-3500, and give us a call if you have a question, an audit, a pension question, an idea, or even a criticism. 
just give us a call and we, we answer and we engage. I also want to thank Hazel from your office for being incredibly diligent compared with uh, some of the comms directors I often have to deal with who don't get back. She was very responsive and I want to just uh, give Hazel, her a little Hazel, kudos Hazel's there. the real deal. So, <laughs> so thank you for listening to today's edition of Driving Forces. I want to again thank our in-studio guest, New York City Controller Scott Stringer. It is great to be back in the studio. I hope to see James again soon. So thank you, Reggie. Thank uh, you, Reggie. And if Celeste is listening from Boston, I hope to hear from you soon. Uh, I miss you already. And you can also uh, tune in on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock as we're focused on City Watch on climate change this entire month. So please tune in and stay with WBAI. Next up is the evening news with Paul DiRienzo. Rienzo.